Here's a scenario that we are all at least familiar with that I'd actually almost guarantee every single one of us have experienced at some point in our lives. It's that situation when your bill comes and there's just something missing, or she rings up your coffee and charges you for a tall when you should have been charged for the venti, or he only charges you for one when you should have been charged for two. It's that scenario where you are not being charged the right, you are not being charged the correct amount, and you know it. Now now listen, I'm not talking about those scenarios where you genuinely didn't notice or you were completely ignorant. No, no, I'm talking about the situations where you are fully aware of the error, the omission, the mistake, whatever you want to call it, and now that back and forth begins in your head. What do you do? And basically, right, there, there are two options. Number one, you keep your mouth shut and you receive your unexpected discount. Or two, you point out the error and you pay full price. And not only have every single one of us been faced with this dilemma at some point, I'd also be willing to bet that most of us, we've tried out each of these two options. You, at some point, you've kept your mouth shut and you went on with your merry day you're pretty excited, maybe even feeling a little, little guilty that you just received a latte on the house. And then there's probably been a time or two where your conscience got the best of you and you pointed out the omission. And what was the reward for your honesty? Yep, that's right. Full menu price coming right at you. And this little scenario right here is in so many ways a microcosm of what we're going to be speaking about for the next five weeks as we dive into this new series titled Hot Button. Which direction will you choose to go? Not which direction does your spouse lean, not which direction do your mom and dad go, not which direction do all your friends go, not which direction does your political party lean, but when faced with those scenarios where your conscience is beginning to light up, which direction will you go? And isn't it interesting that this isn't just a Christian thing? No, no, this is a human being thing. It's not like only the Christians who are watching right now experience this internal battle in moments like these. No, no, whether you follow Jesus or not, every single one of us have experienced this sort of war in our minds, this this, this tugging in opposite directions. It's sort of like that old cartoon, right, where you have a demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and the demon's telling you, don't be an idiot. Take this scent straight from heaven discount. Nobody's going to know about this. It isn't going to hurt anyone. And then the angel beckoning for you to reveal the mistake, to be truthful, to be honest. Now, quick history lesson for us in the world of religion. That the three major faith traditions in our world today, and by the way, I'm certainly not insinuating that all of you watching right now fall into one of these three categories. In fact, you might think all three of these are a crock, but stick with me. I promise there's a reason I'm telling you this. But but the three major faith traditions in our world today are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And all three agree, and you might not know this, that God created humanity in his image. That the human beings are not just a slightly improved, more sophisticated version of a plant or an animal. No, what sets human beings apart is the fact that we were created in the very image of God. Now, if that's ever been confusing for you, think of yourself as an image bearer of God. That every human being, including you, It gives us a bit of a snapshot as to who God is. That there's actually something divine in every single one of us. Now, now all three of these faith traditions also agree that in the beginning, when God first created human beings, God and man lived in harmony. 
Another point of agreement is that God gave human beings, his image bears like him, like God himself, something of particular importance that sets human beings apart from all other creation. Anyone want to take a stab at what that is? That's right, free will. And free will, I think in its most organic form, can be described as the capacity to say yes or no to the creator. The capacity to say yes or no to God. Now, 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 what's also interesting is all three of those faith traditions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, agree that early on in the history of mankind, somebody said no. Somebody said no to the Creator. Somebody said no to God. And when that happened, a, a three-letter word that, that often makes us feel quite uncomfortable entered into the world. That word? Sin. And as a result, our relationship with our Creator has never been the same. See, the cost of sin is death because humanity's relationship with God was broken. Sin ruptured that harmony and has been rupturing that harmony ever since. Now, the really, really good news, and uh, we talked a lot about this last week at Easter, and so if you weren't here for Easter, please go back, listen to that message. The, the really good news, and why I think every single person watching right now ought to be a Christian, and by the way, if that kind of makes you eye roll because you think I'm being biased, that's fair. I probably am a bit biased, but what would you expect? I am a Christian pastor. What, what sets Christianity apart from every other faith tradition is that in this moment, when sin entered into the world, God had a decision to make. Does he destroy the sin-infected world and start over? Or does he roll up his sleeves and get to work fixing it? And while other faith traditions certainly teach that God waded into the mess and he got to work, only one faith tradition, Christianity, teaches that God offered himself. That God gave himself as the solution. God gave us, which includes you watching right now, his one and only son as the atonement to our sin problem. Jesus is the solution to the sin problem that we have no ability to solve ourselves. It is through faith in Christ that we have the ability to recapture that right standing, to recapture that harmony with our creator. Now, if you're new to this whole church, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, I'm not saying you have to believe all of that. I'm just telling you that that is what we as followers of Jesus believe. And right, that right there is going to provide a foundation for much of what we're going to be speaking about throughout these next five weeks. It's important that all of you recognize the sort of baseline that I'm approaching this from. But, but allow me here for just a minute to back up to something that I do think we all can find agreement on. It's this concept of free will. And the ability for any human being to make decisions that they want to make. I mean, you are a completely autonomous human being, and you exercise that autonomy every single day. You decide what you want to eat for lunch. You decide what time you set your alarm to get out of bed. You decide to actually stop or sort of roll right through stop signs. You decide what words come flying out of your mouth. That There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of little decisions that you make every single day that are a function of your free will. Now, many of those decisions, they're not really a matter of morality. They're, they're not really a matter of right and wrong. For, for instance, which parking spot you choose at the grocery store, or, or which drink you choose to purchase at Starbucks. But those aren't really moral issues. But, but there are many decisions that we do make that are a bit weightier. The decisions we would consider to be more of a moral dilemma. Let's go back to where I started this talk. The decisions like whether or not to call out errors that benefit us. 
Things like correct change, or I was only charged for two when I should have been charged for three. That the type of language that I use when I'm around my coworkers versus the language when I use when I'm, let's just say, at church on a Sunday morning. That the type of content that I'm viewing on my phone. But then there's like this next level. That there are these significantly weightier topics, these significantly weightier dilemmas, some of which we're actually going to be covering in this series. Topics like sex before marriage and homosexuality and abortion and injustice towards a minority, how we handle conflict. But, but regardless of how you personally would categorize these decisions of morality, in these moments, whether big or little in your mind, we, we are essentially asking ourselves the question, and chances are many of you, you have never thought about it in these terms, and it also happens to be the title of today's message, we, we are returning over and over again to this question of God's way or my way? God's way or my way? You have the free will to head in either direction. You have the opportunity, if you so choose, and let me make this abundantly clear this morning, we have all done this. You have the opportunity, if you choose, you can say no to God. It's entirely up to you. Will I choose God's way or my way? Now, something that people often resist or take issue with, and this describes you today, I am so glad you're here, and I assure you, you are not alone, it is the idea that you are indeed a sinner. And part of the reason for that is that word sin alone, it carries such a weightiness to it. I mean, it just feels so heavy. In fact, I may have already offended you in some way this morning by posing simply that question, God's way or my way, because with that question comes a not-so-subtle insinuation that your way is often wrong. Your way is often sinful. Your way is often the opposite of what God would like you to choose. And I will certainly admit that most of what is going to be shared in this series is going to come across as exceedingly offensive if you haven't come to grips with the fact that you are indeed a sinner, that you are not inherently good. And if you're listening right now and you resist that, I just challenge you here for a second. Don't think about anyone else. Just think about you. I mean, come on, just be honest for a moment. You don't need to admit this to anybody else. Be honest with yourself. Isn't it true that you make decisions all the time where almost immediately afterwards you're looking at yourself in the mirror going, what in the heck did I do that for? Why did I see her again? Why did I look at that again? Why did I go there? Why did I pick up? Why did I eat? Over and over again, we ask ourselves this question of what is wrong with me? And God would tell us, not in a condemning, not in a judgmental tone, but, but with a grace-filled kindness that's really difficult for us to even comprehend. It's, it's that nagging sin problem. It's you, it's, it's me, it's all of us. It's, it's our human nature. Which, come on, I think you're smart enough to know, it, it isn't good, it's It's bad. Now, this requires the swallowing of some serious pride, but come on, I think we all know it's true. What comes natural rarely leads us in the right direction. Almost exclusively, it leads to regret and remorse and pain and anger and disconnection and isolation. We are not inherently good. It's precisely why God rolled up his sleeves and he, and he sent us his son. If we were good, that, that would have been entirely unnecessary. And again, this, this coming of grips with reality is so important. Because until you see yourself for who you are, 
which is inherently selfish and prideful and prone to wander, a, a sinful human being, much of what is contained within the pages of this book we call the Bible, or more specifically, God's Word, is, is so offensive. One example we have is in the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible, specifically the book of Psalms, which is a collection of prayers and and songs and poems. And and the writer there tells us God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He, He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. Now, now, this is a statement, I mean, it feels so harsh, even offensive, until you kind of take a hard look at yourself and realize he's not wrong. And if that's how the story ended, it would be so depressing. But but God, he comes rushing in to rescue us. And another place in the Old Testament, again, that first half of the Bible in the book of Isaiah, the writer there says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. It's like, okay, God, we got it. We've left God's path to follow our own. It's like, okay, God, you're kind of piling it on. Yet the Lord, but God, yet the Lord laid on him, him being Jesus, the sins of us all. God laid the sins of the world, my sins and your sins, on his one and only son. He he gives us that opportunity to get that right standing back by placing our faith in him, by placing our faith in Jesus. Without any of us ever asking, God gave himself as the final once and for all solution to that sin problem that we cannot solve ourselves. That This is exactly what is being spoken of in what is certainly the most popular passage of scripture in the entire B-I-B-L-E. In John 3.16, It says, for this is how God loved the world. This is how God demonstrated his love to you and to I. He gave, he freely gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. To to save us from our nagging sin problem, from from our natural corrupt human nature, to, to save me from my way and gently nudge me towards his way. And, and right here is where I want to land the plane this morning. D- don't miss this. And so if you've been like wandering around your house, you've been messing around on your phone, bring it back in here for just a second. The, the, the order of operations here is so important. After proving himself trustworthy to you by giving his son on a cross, God now asks you to trust him in return. After proving himself trustworthy to you, God now asks you to trust him in return. This is just one of the details that sets Christianity apart from every other faith tradition. But before asking of anything from you, God does something significant for you. See, this is basically backwards from every other type of relationship that we experience in this world. Because almost everywhere else, we are told, follow these rules and you can be in. Follow these rules and you can join the club. Follow these steps and you can work for this company. If you agree to this, I will marry you. If you agree to fill in the blank, then we will welcome you. In fact, some of you, you grew up in churches 
that had this completely flipped around. And if that is the case, I am so sorry. Your understanding of Christianity, your understanding of the church, your understanding of God was like, okay, if I follow these rules, then God will embrace me. Then God will accept me. But that is not Jesus. Without any of us ever asking, he freely gave himself as the solution to our sin problem. And now he asks, hey, will you just trust me in return? So, let's go back to our question. God's way or my way? God's way or my way? Y'all, this is not blind trust. He, He has already demonstrated just how much he cares about you, just how much he loves you when he gave himself to you. And now he says, hey, well, will you trust me in return? Now, as I wrap this up, I want to draw our attention to some of the words from Jesus himself. And and keep in mind, had I started right here this morning, they they would have sounded so offensive. And admittedly, you still might find them offensive. But with everything I just share with you, at least you'll understand where I, and more specifically, where Jesus is coming from. Now, keep in mind, in the original context that we're about to dive into here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his 12 closest friends, these guys that he spent virtually every waking moment with uh, during a three-year period, but he's also speaking to a crowd of people that's been basically following him around everywhere. These are the words that we find in the book of Mark. This is one of the four accounts that documents Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. There it says, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, If you're listening right now and you have trouble stomaching these words from Jesus as you perhaps consider even this morning whether or not you're going to follow Jesus, I assure you they were even more difficult to hear for that original audience. First, he's asking them to give up their own way. For all the same reasons that I detailed this morning that I think you ought to give up your own way. But only at this point, Jesus hadn't exactly proven himself trustworthy to the masses. Second, he uses this phrase, take up your cross which we look at now as this beautiful symbol representing the sacrifice that Jesus made for every one of us. But remember, that hadn't happened yet. Jesus hadn't been put to death on a cross. He hadn't risen from the dead. When he was speaking to this people, none of that had gone down. No, they heard cross, and all they were thinking was Roman instrument for torture and punishment. It would have been incredibly confusing, not only to the crowd, but even to his closest friends. This is yet another reason why I don't really think these words were as much for his original audience as they are for the generations of Jesus followers that were to come. People like me and people like you. And the truth is, is that all of us listening right now, we don't really have an excuse. Because we have the benefit of hindsight. We know here what Jesus was alluding to. God has proven himself trustworthy by giving himself on a cross, and now he asks us, specifically as we find here, to give up our own way, take up our cross, and follow him. Now, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, and by the way, if you don't, you are completely off the hook for what I'm about to say. But if you identify as a Jesus follower, Jesus right here is asking us to surrender all to him, including our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, our desires, literally everything. And this right here is precisely why a series like this has the ability to be so controversial. Because most of us, even those of you who would identify as a Christian, you have not surrendered everything to Jesus. 
That there's still some stuff in your life that you go, nope, I still want my way. God, I agree in theory with the idea that your way is best, but when it comes to real life and it starts to infringe on what I don't like or what I disagree with, or it starts to press in on people that I care about, I'm still stomping my foot saying my way. Church, don't miss this. Many people claim Jesus as their savior, but they deny him as their Lord. And you don't get to pick and choose. And I say that because I meet a whole lot of people who would identify as a Christian, then for whatever reason, they feel the freedom to decide for themselves what they want to believe about issues like homosexuality or gender or racial injustices. We have a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus is talking about right here, about what it means to fully surrender our lives, our everything to him. What it means to give up our own way, take up our cross, and follow him. Y'all, let me just come clean real quick. Even as your pastor, there is a whole lot within the pages of the Bible that is confusing to me, that that I inherently find myself disagreeing with, that, that I'm even angered and frustrated by. But as a follower of Christ, and again, if you're not a Christian, this part of the message ain't for you. As a follower of Christ, that is all frankly irrelevant. If Jesus is Lord, I believe what he says because he says it whether I disagree with it or not. If you've ever used a chainsaw, and I know this is probably coming across very random right now, it'll connect. Chances are the first time that you used one of these things, if you've never used one before, right, you listened to somebody who knew a thing or two. You took the advice, you took the counsel of like an expert. Or or when you went and picked one of these bad boys up at Home Depot, you read the manual from front to back, right? Because you're smart enough to know that that a chainsaw, if you use this thing improperly, it can be a pretty dangerous tool. I mean, you make a mistake with a chainsaw, you're going to lose a finger. You make a mistake with a chainsaw, you might chop your leg off. You're going to end up with a lot of blood. You're going to end up in the ER. And so we take the words of the manufacturer, we take the words of steel seriously because we know they have our best interest in mind when it comes to operating a chainsaw. Meanwhile, our creator, God Almighty, he offers all of us a manual for life. We, we would often refer to this as the Bible, but it's, it's his word. And, and not only our world, but oftentimes people who claim to be Christians We selectively toss it to the side and say, eh, I'm going to do my own thing. We we say, eh, God, I I don't really know if you know what you're talking about. Even though you created me, even though you created humanity, even though you created the entire world, I, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. And then often, to make things even worse, when it doesn't work out, we blame him. And our loving, kind creator is looking at us going, if you would just follow my plan, my way, it would go so much better for you. He's going, don't you think that I, your creator, who knit you together in your mother's womb, probably knows what's best? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And then Jesus continues. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? I mean, come on. Is anything worth more than your soul? 
Jesus is begging us to not be so nearsighted, to stop living in the moment. He's saying, I I know that so much of this doesn't come natural. In In a lot of ways, it probably feels really risky can you just try and trust me? Can you give up your way and choose my way? It'll be so much better. I mean, come on, don't we think our creator, who demonstrated his love, who demonstrated his kindness and his care for us when he gave himself to us on a cross, probably has our best interest in mind? Again, this is not some blind trust. It is a trust rooted to what Jesus has already done for you. And now he's asking you, hey, will you trust me in return? And you have to appreciate right here how Jesus appeals to the more logical side of our brains. He's asking you to consider, where has your way gotten you? Doesn't what comes natural to you almost always take you in the wrong direction? What what good does it do for you to continue to listen to your way as you simultaneously lose your soul? Even in our increasingly wayward world, still 97% of people believe that there's something after this life, that when you die, that's not it. And Jesus, appealing to that logical side of our brains, he asks us to consider, is there anything more important than your soul? When you're sitting at the gates of eternity, in that moment, is there anything you wouldn't give up to get back your soul? Any possession? Any relationship? Any belief? Any desire? Any thought? And Jesus offers us this extraordinary invitation, not when we're sitting at the gates of eternity. No, he offers you this invitation right now. Jesus has proven himself trustworthy and now asks you to trust him in return. Over and over again in my life, I am faced with what is essentially the exact same question, God's way or my way? And even when my way seems better, even when my way just kind of feels right, and perhaps especially in those moments, but for whatever reason, I just trust God anyway and head his direction, Oftentimes blindly, he's yet to let me down. He comes through every single time. He always proves himself trustworthy. And that shouldn't come as a surprise because that's who he is. He he is for you. So so my challenge, my my question for you is we head into what is sure to be a very memorable series. The the, the first question I have here is for the Jesus followers. That question, have you surrendered all to God? Really ask yourself that. Have you surrendered all to God, everything to God? Or is there still some stuff that you're hanging on to saying, my way? Are there still some thoughts, beliefs, habits where you're saying, nope, God, that part of my life is still off limits? Have you surrendered all to God? And then the next question, this is for those of you who would not identify as a Christian. Is it time to give God's way a shot? Has it ever occurred to you that God has given you a manual for life. And to this point, you haven't really paid it the least bit of attention. And hasn't your life shown you that you often get it wrong? That my way and what comes natural to me almost exclusively leads me in the wrong direction. That maybe your creator who loves you and adores you 
and, and wants a relationship with you so badly that he sent his one and his only son to die for you might just have your best interest in mind. I mean, come on, isn't there something inside of you that wants that to be true? That, that, that after proving himself trustworthy to you, he's simply asking for you to trust him in return. And with all that as the backdrop, we'll see you back here next week as we tackle the first of our hot button topics.